Welcome to Observations from Life. This is your host, Scott, and I'm looking forward to having a great conversation with you today. Thank you so much for listening in. Okay, I'm excited today about a guest I have. Uh, he is... Twitter's a strange place, and we, uh, as I've been on Twitter more and interacting with people, uh, somehow have gotten connected with um, different folks that are in the Christian world, and Christian Twitter's even weirder, we'll be talking about that today, but uh, one of the, uh, my earlier podcast episodes was about the Theo Bros, and after, that, that's a group that we'll be discussing, and after I'd started looking and talking to other people, ran across a very good account, uh, which is a parody account called, I think, Theo Bros Extraordinaire. Is that correct? It and is. So, yes. And so I've got the Theo Bro Extraordinaire on uh, today to talk about his experiences with the church and with with uh, where his spiritual life is now. And also, uh, again, we've got to talk about Christian Twitter because it's, you know, very uh, fascinating. So uh, we're a little bit anonymous today, so I'm just going to say welcome. Well, thank you very much. Thank it's you. good to have you on here. So give me a little bit of your, let's start with a little bit of your background. Uh, uh, I know that you grew up, at least, or at least early in your life, you were involved with the church. And so tell me just a little bit about that and what your what your story is. Yeah, um, you know, definitely grew up in the church, grew up in conservative evangelical uh, Christianity, um, and always had a, a academic interest in it. Um, and so I think I followed that to the farthest logical place. I actually, you know, went all the way to seminary. Ah. And uh, so you're, what, did you grow up Baptist or what evangelical group were you a part of? Uh, I was kind of uh, the evangelical free. Uh, okay. They're like a group of uh, Swedish pietists. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've heard of them. Actually, I think we've got some of them here in Austin. Uh, Austin's not a real churchy place, but uh, we do have uh, our share of people. Um, and so you said academically you, you were interested. So what, tell me about your, what, what all did you study or, or what's your, your knowledge? Um, I mean, it would, it would surprise people seeing it come from a parody account. I'm sure that, <laughs> uh, but I have a master divinity from Fuller Seminary. Ah. So sometimes I will, kind of mock fuller seminary uh. <laughs> yeah well and i'm not surprised because you know when you're looking at parody accounts you can tell once that there's some knowledge behind it you know like they can throw in some but they know the language they know the 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 stuff so so you went to seminary and you got a master's so obviously after that something must have happened that you decided this is not my path yeah. Um, so then uh, I was ordained in, uh, it's called the American Baptist. So um, in the Civil War, every denomination split, North mm -hmm. and Methodist, the Presbyterians, all of them. The Baptists did too. Uh, the only difference is, is the Baptists didn't come back together right. at the end of the Civil War, like the rest of the denominations did. They stayed separated. And, um, you, know, I, you know, I think there's kind of the... I don't want to put it the fluffy answer of, you know, having too many cultural differences and it's harder for them to come together. I think there's a more cynical answer that the Southern Baptists, you know, were holding on to some pretty crazy ideas and they're just, you couldn't, you know, such as slavery. Yeah. And the, yeah. They're still not over the civil war. It seems. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, but the American Baptists, they're an interesting group. I mean, that was where Martin Luther King was a part of, Martin Luther King Jr. was a part of. I mean, there were some really interesting people, and that was even kind of how they sold me on it, is that this is the more progressive Baptist denomination. Uh, so I thought it'd be a good place to go, and so I got connected with that group at Fuller. I don't want to give too many details away because I'd give away who sure. I am, but... Okay. Um, uh, you know, I got connected. I, you know, went through the ordination process. Um, and, um, you know, what it, what it was for me was uh, the denomination, you know, I think they kind of sold themselves as being a little bit more progressive, but it was more progressive in pockets. And um, the thing that hit me was that it was just fighting like cats and dogs over, you know, whether to welcome LGBT people. Ah. And, um I honestly, I mean, you know, I don't know how to put it any more, you know, dramatically. I mean, I just kind of woke up one morning and I was reading a couple of emails from churches I was talking to. And like one wanted me to write out a statement and another, you, know, you can't call them bishops in the Baptist church. They were called executive ministers, wanted me to type something out on it. And I just, I kind of looked in the mirror and said, this is not how I want to spend my life uh, debating this. And, um, you know, there's part of me that wanted to be there to help fight for LGBT inclusion, but I thought there are just there are better ways I can do that. And so um, I kind of that day just quit talking to the American Baptist Church, just quit dealing with them um, and was over it. Uh, my wife and I wanted to stay in a church setting. Uh, so, you know, we I think we kind of joked about this in the pre-interview, but I mean, you know, it kind of went that, you know, so-called evangelical path. Right. I'm going from a more conservative evangelical church to the Episcopal church. And so we joined an Episcopal church in our city and, and, you know, we really lo loved it. It was a great church, uh, great people. I had, I had a great experience with the, with the uh, Episcopals. So it, it certainly, especially coming from the Baptist realm, uh, I kind of swung through a little bit of a non-denominational church for a while and then went to the Episcopal church. And it was, it was a breath of fresh air. Um, in fact, I remember my, my first Episcopal experience. I went on a, uh, they were having an Oktoberfest and uh the, priest was serving beer in, uh, out of a keg in the, in the fellowship hall after church. And I remember thinking, well, this is different, you know, coming from the Baptist. And I came from a group that I thought the Southern Baptists were a bunch of liberals. I came actually from the Baptist Missionary Association, which is very conservative. Oh, okay. sure. And so, yeah, the Episcopals seemed like the answer, at least at that time. And I think a lot of times, and, and I want to get into deconstruction a little bit because that's a term that actually is new to me that I've seen that I want to give you an opportunity to talk about, but it's almost like you don't want to just drop everything. And so it feels like, okay, this is, I still am actively involved with the Christian church, but I'm not having these, you know, Baptists love to fight. And I guess yeah. most, you know, a lot of evangelicals do, but Ooh, you know, my, my little town had multiple Baptist churches and they were all basically splinters off each other because of one thing or another. But anyway, so you went to Episcopals and um, was happy there at least for a while. Yeah. And then, you know, I guess this is where it gets into the deconstruction stuff. Um, I, I think my mind just kept moving through some of these phases of deconstruction. So tell and me first, before you get into that, do, tell me about the term. Cause again, I think I have gone through deconstruction, but I didn't know it was called that, you know? And so what happened is when I got on, uh, Twitter and started really interacting and, and actually several people that we share um, uh, follow alongside because I'll see comments from you and, and, and to others and stuff um, have really this is a big 
big discussion for them. Uh, but I have a feeling a lot of people don't know that term. So can you talk a little bit about what deconstruction means, at least to you? Yeah, so I mean, the, I mean, there's a whole like thing in philosophy and Derrida and all that stuff. Um, I, I don't think any even ex or very few evangelicals are talking about that. Um, I think when ex evangelicals are using the term, they talk about this idea of they start questioning, um, you know, some of the things that they were taught mm -hmm. um, growing up, and so um, and this this idea of things start breaking down. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, maybe, a, well, it's a, built so tightly, you know, the, the, the whole part of the, fundamental part of world is that if you're going to be an American conservative evangelical, then there's a lot of things you have to buy into about like certain beliefs about America, certain beliefs about, you know, politics, certain mm -hmm. beliefs about the church, certain beliefs about yourself. And, um, and so all it, you know, for some, it just, it takes questioning, well, wait a minute, like, the Bible doesn't even talk about, you know, I mean, the, the authors of the Bible, you know, could barely have conceived of, you know, a world much more than a, you know, few hundred miles away from them, let alone that there were two other continents, you know, thousands of miles away. <laughs> yeah, they certainly weren't, weren't laying out a lot of uh, uh, policies on how to, uh, you know, on almost anything. And, and it's, it's interesting to me because a lot of times when I try to think about their worldview at the time, you know, yeah, it was fairly limited. And, and so the way that at least my experience with the Baptists, with the missionary Baptists, especially is you have to, you have a whole array of things you have to believe. And if you start pulling any of those, if you start asking questions, it's like something starts unraveling, you know, you can't really, yeah, I compare it to like, you know, like a like a rug where you start pulling mm -hmm. up it and it just kind of starts falling, you know, coming apart. Which is kind of a shame. I mean, since you have an education around this, you're probably very familiar. One of the things that's always kind of frustrated me, and I don't want to sit and beat up on the Baptist the whole time, because but one of the things that's really frustrated me is if you go back and look at early Baptist principles, they really were into being able to make your own decisions about what you believe. I mean, they talk about, you know, the priesthood of the believer and, and that each person has this relationship that with God where they can interpret scripture as, you know, whatever, but very quickly it turned into, but this is the right way. And if you're not doing it the right way, then, you know, you're out. And I don't know if that, if you've ever really thought through that, but that's something that's always to me struck me is the, a true Baptist foundational belief is, it's between me and God. Well, and that's I Southern Baptist. I mean, you know, and I, I only read the Southern Baptist on the side, you know, and they were, uh, or, you know, and, and so they've been doing a lot of stuff about like respecting the authority of the pastor and all that. Um, and this idea of like, you know, being under his, you know, authority kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that is not a Baptist. No, not at all. It's far from it. The idea of, you know, being a Baptist pastor is you're more like the ultimate servant in the church. You're right. you're supposed to be helping everybody. So that's been a weird shift where they've gone into more like the pastor is more of this power um, figure that you need to like obey, listen to. Yeah. Um, I think when your numbers are shrinking, you have to find a way to take some control. I, I, that's my cynical belief about it is, you know, there's, I mean, I think the church, all the church has a long history of we got to kind of keep people in control, you know, and everything. And so I think sometimes that, I think that leaks in. Yeah. Anyway, so, part of it. 
So back to your, so you're at the Episcopal Church at this point. Mm-hmm. And like and, I said, I mean, I will never say anything negative about our church. It's a great place. Um, but I, I, you know, so we talked about this idea of deconstruction, parts of the faith coming apart. Um, and so, um, you know, it usually starts a number of ways. Like, you know, it might start something as simple. I mean, I, I guess I would look at like my first real step into it was going to a presentation about like why Noah's Ark was a literal historical event. Mm-hmm. And I was just an undergrad in theology at the time. Like, it's not like I was out there studying science or geology or anything. But I just started reading enough books as a college student where I'm watching this presentation. I'm like, this doesn't add up at all. And just learning about like the way that the Pentateuch was put together and the type of literature it was, and you know, going through most now, of the come old on, that they have a picture of the Ark in Turkey, you know, this <laughs> and nobody can get to it. And yeah, sitting on a mountain somewhere, you know, this idea that, yeah, you know, both that old would still be. Um, <laughs> yes. hey, if it could carry that many animals, I'm guessing that it's weatherproof. Well, um, and it, <laughs> It's clearly not talking about a literal event. Right. I mean, it's it's clearly a, a myth, a story. Um, and, you know, you see it comes from other Babylonian Sumerian. I mean, like, it comes oh, yeah. from their, you know, they, they borrowed it and they put their spin on it that, you know, I, I think, you know, the Bible does something a little unique. Instead of God being really upset, God's more grieved in having to do this. Like, I'm so sorry I have to destroy all of you. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, just, it's not talking about history. And so I walked out of that saying, well, they, that, that guy was nuts and that thing is nuts. And this idea of like the Bible having to be literal, you know, when you study it academically, that just does not make sense. Yeah. And so that I think is where a lot of people start pulling on that string is, is this demand for literalism that, you know, that started in like the 17, 1800s. And, uh, you know, it's just like, that, I think that's another piece is that a lot of these things started fairly recently. This idea of like a literal, you know, biblical belief. I mean, you go back and read any of the, anyone in church history, none of them. No, you know, Luther wouldn't have said that. Cal, I mean, they, yeah. that just, that's a really weird way of looking at it. It's a weird way, you know, it's a weird way to look at any document. Well, it is. Um, and and it... I keep, you know, like we don't interpret any document entirely literally the whole time right um, well and it ruins it you know no. like like when i'm reading the story of the of the ark you know that's a good example of uh, uh when you look at it as a what what some person and you're right i think they did borrow it from someone else the sumerians clearly had it was way ahead of them on the story but it's still it's a story about man trying to understand things or whatever and us trying to figure there's something greater than us and and whether it's the ark or any other story of the bible the when you take the literal part out there's some beautiful lessons to be learned about forgiveness and love and 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 you know trying to to be part of something bigger than ourselves and but then once you start you know it's a literal historical thing uh yeah you can you lose that spiritual depth it, it it's not near as meaningful as like sitting down and reading some some buddhist writings or some you know a Taoist writings and things because you're suddenly not trying to learn from it you're just kind of reading this story that sounds pretty weird that some dude lived 900 years but you know and uh so yeah it's literalism i think is killing the spiritual aspect yeah and i mean and that and but that is something you know that's happening in evangelicalism i mean i'm friends with people that have lost jobs lost uh, oh, no. like I, i'm 
I, I know at least two people that have been like teachers at Christian schools that did not believe that Noah's Ark was a literal historical event and they've been fired from their schools. Yeah, that's a shame. That is. So, you know, you try to boil that down. I mean, I think that's going into more power dynamics. Um, yeah. That, I mean, I, you know, I do think there's a little bit, I mean, this is me maybe getting like the most cynical. It's like, if we can get someone to say that they believe that, right? If you can get a thinking adult person to say, do you believe that, you know, 5,000 years ago, the world was literally destroyed in a flood, except for one guy that put a bunch of animals on a boat, right? If, if you can get someone to say, yes, I agree with that, um, then, you know, it's not that far of a leap to say, well, then we think Donald Trump is the right guy to be president. Yeah. You know, sure. like, it's like, if you can get someone to say yes to something, you can get them to say yes to anything. And, you know, uh, this is getting a little abstract, I guess, but uh, are you into Star Trek at all? Uh, of course. <laughs> you know, I think about the famous episode... Um, was, I think it's called Code of Honor, or no, not Code of Honor. Sorry, that's um, oh, the one where uh, Picard's captured by the the uh, Cardassians. Oh yeah, and the guy keeps asking him how many lights do you see, and he's trying to get him to say five lights just to get him to see reality as he wants him to see it. Yeah, right. And yeah, evangelicals aren't torturing people, but I mean, like, <laughs> uh, I do think there's something to it of like if we can get you to believe, you know, we can get you to sign a statement that you believe this, then you can we can get you to say you'll believe other things. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's the old frog in the pot, which I found out recently that's a that's not true. <laughs> but but it's a the frog in the pot concept. I was very disappointed when I found out they really will jump out earlier. But but it's a it's an example I've always grown up with, which is yeah, if you turn up the heat little by little, people, and I think you do. You you start, and I, I don't know if you listen to my podcast. If you don't, that's fine. I, I don't have a ton of listeners, but uh, I do compare modern day evangelicals to cults and talk about how, you know, you kind of get into this cultish thinking. And that's, I mean, that's how, you know, if you look at any really strong cult leader, you know, with Jim Jones or anyone else that they didn't start off at the end talking about suicide, you know, they started off with really just kind of bringing in people and making them feel part of something special. And so you, you kind of become a part of that. And the more you get in it, um, you're right. You, you believe this. Well, then uh, we have something else to show you, something else to teach you. And next thing you know, you're deep in. Okay. Uh, we had a little bit of a technical difficulties there. So if there's an uh, abrupt break in this uh, uh, episode, you'll know what's going on. But we're back. Um, we are talking, uh, let's shift a little. We we're talking about deconstruction uh, and about, you know, just the idea of, of people that are in evangelical. And by the way, I love the term ex-evangelicals. That's a good one. Um, uh that kind of found their way out. Um, so what, so you were, I want to kind of finish your break in this and your deconstruction. And then we're going to talk about the Theo bros, uh, um, which is going to be fun. So um, after you really started questioning things, uh, finding, you know, literalism and other stuff and, and kind of getting yourself in a better place. So where did you land? I mean, did you land? I'm outside the church now, and if so, yeah, I'm, kind of I'm, I'm, your... complete, I'm completely outside the church now. And so, how? So, tell me about spiritually where you where you are. Like, what is your view about your journey here on Earth? I mean, have you gone all the way to agnostic or atheist, or are you more like where are you in that on that journey? Yeah, I would say I'm agnostic atheist. Okay. Uh, I would say that if if a god exists, um, religion does not tell us anything about this god. 
That's yeah. I, 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 you know, I happen to have the book sitting here, a book that really informed me on this, which I guess she doesn't like that it did for people like me is called history of God by Karen. Oh Manchin. yes. Yes. But she's like a nun. I don't think she, she likes the idea that this book helped a lot of people deconstruct, but it uh -huh. did. Uh, because what you really see as you read it is that people's conception of God just kind of shifts based on what's happening in the culture at the time. Yeah. Um, and so you just kind of see that, you know, and you see that with Judaism. I mean, like you have this idea of a, of a small group of people that I think were forming a God that made sense to them, you know, based mm -hmm. on, you know, that country does always live in a place of political, um, you know, when you had the big Egyptian empire and the big Sumerian yeah. and Babylonian empire, they were kind of right in the middle there. Right. Um, and, you know, it goes all the way through, you know, then when Rome is taking over, I mean, they're right in the middle of a trade route. I mean, like they just, they've always kind of been in the middle of it, um, you know, up through Christianity that I think, you know, with the vastness of the Roman empire needed a different response. And then I think you had Islam where you really had a need to bring people together and put them under one cause. Um, and, you know, all the way throughout, I mean, you know, Protestantism, I mean, really was more of a, you know, the Catholic Church politically was getting, you know, too powerful and people were starting right. to question it. And so, you know, but you just take a step back from that and say, well, what if that's, you know, what's been happening the whole time, you know, which is kind of, you know, what I tend to think happened. Well, and I think all of us tend to, when we, all people, when we try to create a God or try to understand a God, it's interesting how they always have the same enemies we have. They have the same viewpoints we have. Uh, I was years ago, I was reading an article about parenting styles. I was talking about authoritarian parenting and permissive parenting and other things. My background's in psychology. And it was interesting because this study, I think it was more of a survey, really. It wasn't like a technical study, but they were talking about how people's parenting styles tended to mirror how they viewed God. So if you saw God as this authoritarian father that dictates the rules, you happen to be an authoritarian parent. And of course, the question is, did you create that God or are you think you're emulating who you think is God? But uh, so it is common, I think, for people. And even if you look back and just think about even primitive tribes out there, the sun comes up, it gives them life. We worship the sun, you know, it, it, that is the life giver. And oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can like look at that, like, you know, the Egyptian concept for Ra was, you know, this idea of this very powerful God. Because look at where Egypt is. It's a very wealthy mm -hmm. empire. You know, the Nile floods it every year. So they're, they get inconsistent crops. I mean, like they were. So, yeah. So you look at God as a very powerful figure. You get more into the Sumerian areas and where some years they get rain, some years they really don't. So they're struggling and they see God's God. Gods are bad. Or, yeah. Yeah. They're, or they're more temperamental. Like you can't, you know, you don't want to you don't want to upset them. You know, and you have to make them happy. And so, you know, you get to see how that translates in, you know, throughout cultures. Yeah. And very so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, I mean, I, and, you know, as so I brought up earlier, um, you know, and I, honestly, I mean, where it really came through to me was the evangelical Trump support. Mm -hmm. And this idea of how people twisted it into like, this is what God wants me to do, or this is God's candidate. And these are people that I once deeply respected. Yeah. Um, you know, people who like had formed me in my faith that all of a sudden were like looking at, you know, who I thought, I don't, were you a supporter of that man? 
of Trump? No. Oh my God. No, okay. I, 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 I don't want to be too. <laughs> no, um, no, no. Yeah. Um, I, I typically but, don't get into politics on this podcast, but no. I think this is a spot on conversation. So I do okay. want you to continue that. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know whether, I mean, but for me, it was like the way that they had really reformed and all of a sudden, you know, this would become the acceptable thing to do. And I thought, man, that is really, you are recrafting God for what you want. Completely. Right. Yeah. You want the tax cuts or you want, uh, you know, women to not be able to make medical choices. And you are looking for this guy to give you permission to do so. Or, you know, I think you find his rhetoric attractive, but you don't like admitting it. Yeah. Um, and so it, that's where, you know, it was around this time it actually read History of God. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Have they been doing this the whole time? And, <laughs> and that so that is where. And so that's even where, um, you know, we were happy at our Episcopal church. And like I said, I have nothing against it, but it just, I, it just, it started really feeling pointless. It's like the nice version of, yeah. Well, and I agree. I, I've struggled with the, with the Trump stuff. Cause my, my whole family is evangelical hmm. and uh, my parents, this probably has been the weirdest thing for me because my parents are very, very conservative. We grew up very conservative. Um, in every aspect. I remember one time I said, darn, and I got in trouble because that's the euphemism for damn. I mean, we were very serious, no dancing, you know, all those kind of things. And, and my parents always talked about the importance of voting for candidates that reflect Christian values. That was a big thing for them. So, uh, so Reagan, of course, was their hero because, you know, uh, Jerry Falwell gave him the blessing and we saw kind of that whole shift there. But when Trump came along, I thought that was a no brainer that they would not be able to support him. And, and, and I even remember mentioning to my mom one time, I said, well, I said, I talked about his wife. I said, look, look at Melania. I said, she posed nude. And look, Cause my parents were like very, I'm talking very conservative. And my mom said, well, you know, that's modeling. That's a different world. And I thought now this, I would have never heard my mother say, you know, and I was shocked this. They're in their nineties. I don't want to pick on them too much, but it was just a really weird thing. And when I tried to ask them questions, I remember my dad, this was the, the key. He, uh, he's a, a retired Baptist minister and he went into his preacher voice and he said, uh, this was 2016. And he said, uh, well, Hillary's going to try to turn our country into a, going to try to make a socialist just like Obama did. Or actually he said, you're Obama. And I said, Obama didn't make a socialist. Well, because the Republicans prevented him from it. So there was kind of this, you know, if they had to save us all thing, and, but I realized at that point, we're not even having a discussion about values or spirituality, and which my parents, that's all they talk about. I mean, my mom and I, every conversation is almost exclusively about her Christian walk and everything else. And suddenly it's socialism versus capitalism and capitalism is Christian. And so, you know, it was just a really weird thing. And right. I don't I, understand I, it. No, and... um. You know, I think back on it, I mean, I had a, a friend I grew up with who, um, you know, we were going back and forth texting. And this was back at the beginning of 2016. And, you know, who do you think the nominee is going to be? I'm like, I don't know, probably Rubio or Bush. And he's like, yeah, what about Trump? And I said, oh, no, I said, there oh, yeah, nobody. Yeah, no. And I said, there isn't. A, he said, why don't you think so? I said, oh, I said, because he never get the evangelical support. He goes, really? A lot of people in my church really like him. I said, oh, no. I said, they, they would have to. um I said, evangelicals would have to apologize for their hypocrisy. I said, or they'd have to admit it. Or I said, and I said, or evangelicals would hate the idea that people would call out their hypocrisy. 
I said, you know, I said they, they, they would not be willing to endure that. Mm-hmm. And then that's what really shocked me. They have yeah. no problem being called hypocrites. They don't yeah. care. They shrug it off. They, they have no problem being hypocrites. They don't care. They shrug it off. And that that was another one where it's like, wait, I mean, because I, I grew up, in, I was in high school in the 90s, you know, going to youth groups, hearing all mm-hmm. about how bad Clinton was because he didn't have values. We need people about Exactly. You know? Yeah. And I thought, and I've said, I said, I remember what you said in the 90s. And they're like, well, that was a different situation. I'm like, no, this is pure hypocrisy. And they do not care. And that's, you know, what I found with evangelicalism and most religion, but evangelical especially, they will just rewrite the rules. Like there's no moral center. They'll just, whatever fits the moment, whatever is convenient for them. You know, I grew up in this world of, uh, you know, postmodernism being bad. And, you know, what I find striking is this whole idea of moral relativism, you know, that I, you know, I mean, I was like in these groups as a kid, you know, Worldview Academy, it was called like, I mean, very cultish looking back on it, where it was like a camp training us to be good, wow. uh, good Christian nationalist soldiers. Um, they told us about, um, you know, this idea of moral relativism and changing your morality for shifting situations and how Christians don't do that. And literally the yep. only people I hear make those arguments are Trump supporting evangelical Christians. Yeah, They're the only ones that use that framework. I don't know if it's because they spent so much time thinking about it that now they're like, wait, this actually makes sense. Or, you know, <laughs> I really don't know what happened, but um, I, I just, I find it striking. I mean, I, I think if, you know, you would have told me as, you know, that high school kid that um, actually this idea of more relativism is going to be very prevalent in American politics in, you know, 2022, I'd say, yeah, I, I agree. But it'd be the evangelicals would be the main ones doing it. I'd be like, wait, what? Yeah, instead of <laughs> resisting it. Exactly. Yeah, it, it just, it, it, it feels crazy to me, but. It does. At. It's, it's a, it's a weird world and it certainly affected, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it boggles my mind and I'm, I'm pretty good with, with at least the churches I grew up in and I'm pretty good with psychology and I can't get it to fit. It makes zero sense to me other than um, the more that I've looked at the evolution of, especially in the South, the Baptist church and evangelical church, it's always kind of been embedded in white supremacy. And I think that it, that, that, he managed to touch on those things with the dog whistles and everything else is things people are always thinking. My parents, this is really bizarre. So their church, I'm not going to say where it's at, but their church where they live, um, they were telling me about how they got their property and they were really proud of it. And uh, they're in a white flight community. And they said, yeah, their church where they were, and they're telling this with a straight face. uh, They said a lot of black people started coming and they so that they decided to relocate and they got this great deal god god intervened and gave them this great deal on this property in this community outside of the the kind of inner city where they were and then my mom says and it all worked out because some black people bought the old property so now they have their church like you know and it's kind of this separate but equal i guess thing that that that's kind of still stuck in their heads but it was really odd because i was thinking do you realize what you're saying you're saying you actually relocated your entire church because black people were attending. And, you know, but when I think about that and how they just kind of brushed past it and God worked it all out. Now the black people have their own church. It's not a far reach that when he's talking about how we need to stop migrants from coming in because it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's the same stuff. It's this idea that we need to keep our culture pure and they just, I don't know. It's mind boggling, but it also is kind of where evangelicals were rooted 
they just have kind of revived some history there that has laid dormant, I guess, for a long time. And I mean, and that's one I have to admit, I kind of missed. Because I mean, I I will like in Fuller's defense, you know, Fuller, I don't think was about that. Um, And I think, and I, I remember when I was more in evangelicalism, you know, I graduated Fuller in 2009. I mean, there was more of this idea of, you know, different cultures coming together, really mm-hmm. trying to make goals for multicultural churches. And I mean, I know Fuller also had the the church growth model so that they also use a lot of, um, you know, for those mega churches, use a lot oh, of yeah. like people being ethnically and socioeconomically the same and all that. So I, I someone could push back on that. Um, but I, I mean, I, I guess I wasn't, you know, and that I think is a little bit like I might have understood this differently had I had gone to a Dallas seminary or a mm-hmm. you know so- southeastern Baptist seminary or something like that, um, uh, or southern. Um, but um, I, yeah, I mean, I think I just missed it. And you know, some of it, you know, I mean, this is the famous book I don't have it in front of me, the Jesus and John Wayne. Oh yeah, yeah, right, I'm, where... I'm in the middle of it right now. Yeah, I mean, and it's like it's almost like uh, like PTSD as I'm reading it. I'm like, holy shit, you know? Yeah, I've had a lot of my evangelical friends say that, that they find it triggering to read, and they've like mm-hmm. put it down. Uh, but you you read that, and you start seeing it, and but a lot of what she mentions, even when I was in pretty conservative parts of evangelicalism, I kind of considered fringy, and I guess that might have just been more. I wasn't in the heartland of where what evangelicalism was doing. You know? Yeah, yeah, you should, yeah, you should have grown up where I did. I mean, it's you know, again, a very deep southeast Texas. You know, um, it's a different world. Yeah, so I think that you know definitely had something. I don't, you know, I mean, like I said, I, I other than I just. I mean, my, my cynical side says that this this morality thing is just kind of a facade that they'll they'll throw out oh, yeah. when it's convenient. The moment it becomes the slightest bit inconvenient, like with President Trump, they'll they'll oh, eliminate. If, if he switched parties, if he switched parties, it was the Democratic nominee. Then we would suddenly be hearing about his terrible lifestyle and how it's not Christian. Oh, of course, yeah. Oh, of course. So, okay, uh, let's talk about the Theo Bros. So. Yes. This is uh, an interesting group. So uh, tell me, uh, how did you start interacting or, or like, how, how'd you just, like, I have, I think it, a lot of it's been through you, but I started running across some of these people that are, they put these platitudes out here that are just like, it's almost, you can't tell sometimes if it's a parody account, like you have to really <laughs> look a lot and then you're like, Oh, wait a minute, this guy's serious, you know, okay. in this patriarchy and, and, there, there's a guy I consider to be the master of this. Uh, I mean, the guy who I consider to be the master of the parody account is mm-hmm. uh, is Doug Doug J. Balloon, uh, the New York Times pitchbot. Okay, where he does uh, like articles that the New York Times should publish, um, and they are. <laughs> I'm gonna look him up fun. right now so I can because I don't is, think I'm following it, him. It is it is to me he is the he's the absolute gold standard of it. There's another account called Richard White Man, and. Um, he basically pretends to be, um, you know, I know we don't want to talk too much politics, but he kind of pretends to be one of these like rich leftist white guys. Uh-huh. You know, his name's kind of a play on it, rich white man, um, where it's kind of this idea of like, no matter if the Republicans are in power or the Democrats, because he's a rich white guy, he won't be influenced. Okay. So he takes the most outlandish leftist positions. Even like right now he has a bunch of like, roses and 
Russian flags in his profile. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at his profile. Right, so he's very sarcastic, and he would crack me up pretty regularly. I think I was just bored on a Thursday afternoon, and I thought, what if I did an account kind of like what he's doing called Theobro Extraordinaire, where I kind of do act like these Theobros. And, you know, and so I Googled, uh, you know, some people, have, some people have asked me about this. I literally Googled, uh, you know, stock image, man, fedora, and uh, pipe. The perfect picture. Yeah. Like, once I saw that, you know, I don't know who that guy is, um, <laughs> but uh, once I saw his picture, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, and it's, I started having a ton of ideas for like how that could work. Oh, so yeah. I threw that up, kind of just started trolling some people I considered the Theo Bros got kind of roundly blocked by them. Got some. Yeah, I've I've been them. blocked by a couple of them now, which is kind of disappointing uh, because they're fun to kind of poke, you know, poke at. But yeah. uh, you know, you know, what's been surprising about it though. So I just I kind of kept doing it, and I kind of just kept, and I kind of found you know some of the times I would just I would honestly just copy and paste someone else's tweet, mm-hmm. and then just change a couple more words to make it slightly yeah. more sarcastic or farcical. Um, and I started getting interactions there. Um, and that's kind of been my niche with it is I'm kind of just making fun of, and I think it's like, you know, we had kind of mentioned earlier, like half, I look at this thing, you know, their tweet or their statement and I'm like, wait, what are they really saying here? Like, you know, let's break this down. Uh-huh. Um, and then, so sometimes I just kind of put out what they're really saying. Yeah. Um, and, um, sometimes I'll see your tweets and, I'll later find the one you were you yeah. know, pa- doing the parody of. And I'm like, okay, that's where that came from. So it's, you do it well. Uh, it's interesting. Um, do they ever interact back with you? I know you have people that interact with you, but the, when you're messing with someone, do they ever, or do they just can, block can you? Hear you me? Or, uh-huh. Can you hear me? Yes. I'm getting that notice again. So I don't uh, know. What how weird. Like. I don't know. Um, when they, when they respond, they respond angrily. <laughs> yeah. They don't have a lot of sense of humor about them. No. So no. Okay. Yeah, so, so usually oh see so yes, that they interact either. with me very rarely. Um I I think they see me as kind of a pest. Um Of course. <laughs> and and you know, and I'm sure I'm sure they don't like how I position what they're saying. Um I think what has been surprising about it, and you know, even because this is something I totally just kind of did as a joke one day is I have kind of found a community with this that, that I yeah. um, very much enjoy is I, you know, I have a couple of chat groups, you know, that I go back and forth with people on stuff. And, um, you know, one is kind of a group of uh, women who were, you know, part of like John MacArthur's church up in mm-hmm. Pasadena and um, yes, and, you know, just a, f- a few others that, you know, are really cool people, very smart people. And I, I think I've had enough of guys like the Theo bros that um, put this stuff out there. And so, you know, we regularly interact with one another. And then, you know, there's kind of spaces to chat. And then, you know, I, I there, there's been a couple of like spinoff accounts that I think is very funny. You know, there's one called Fun with the Theo bros. And then there's uh, someone has decided to become my grandfather. Yes, I um, saw the grandfather. <laughs> um, He's a then, little crankier than you are. <laughs> yeah, and then someone else has created an account where they are pretending to be that passer from uh, Alaska, that jolly guy. Oh. Um, so, um, you know, 
which I think is very funny too. And so there's kind of this thing because, I mean, at this point it's like, you know, why do this? Why, you know, waste my time on this? And the only thing I can help think of is um, if I can help people see just how full of nonsense these guys are. Yeah. Right. And how absurd their arguments are, how absurd their statements are, how absurd they are. And just help one person to say, wow, that is really absurd. Um, you know, to me, it's kind of, it's worth it. You know, well, like if you can help people to see like, wait, like this isn't grounded in anything. This isn't, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, satire. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think satire is one of the best ways that, you know, historically even, but now to a- approach some of this. And and now that you're saying this, I kind of know how I found you and others. And it was through women. It's, I, I had interviewed someone that had, she's written a book. She was abused in her, about a, she was abused by a therapist that was part of her church and he was an elder and, and she had to go through the whole people. Oh, wait a minute. He's not that kind of guy, you know, thing. And she went, had a lot of guilt from it, but I started following her and then saw some other people, women, you know, it's kind of group. Uh, to some other women that had either deconstructed or had had bad experiences with the patriarchy or whatever. And that's when this grew out to hitting your account and some others. And then some of the Theobros who I don't know if I actually follow them. I usually, I think kind of just go check on them periodically, but um, it is, it's, it's a very bizarre thing. Um, Especially, I don't know how old these guys are, but they seem young and they're pushing this patriarchy thing you know, this, I'm the yeah, man I mean, of the I'm house. 40, and, and I'd say a lot of them are around my age. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, sometimes I question what's really going on at their house. You know, I, I think sometimes they're broadcasting on Twitter is what they hope they can't have. Their wives can't be too happy. Uh, so it's just makes you wonder. Um, and then one of them, I think is the guy is the guy in Alaska, the one that's trying to do a church plant thing and then he got yeah. turned down or something. And yeah, there's some kind of, there's, you can, you can tell something strange is going on behind the scenes with him, with, with whoever he's working with, because I think they got turned down. I think he had, he, he put it out there that he had put a application or whatever. And so I don't know. Um, do yeah. You think, I, mean, I, don't, I mean, I mean, do you think these guys are the last, gasping breath of patriarchy or do you think they're the next generation of patriarchy i mean it might be a little bit of both maybe so um i i mean i i think yeah i think that one gets pretty layered like i think I, you know i think there are like a lot of especially like white men that are looking at the world around them and are saying that things don't make sense the same way they used to and so they're looking for something to help things make sense yeah. Um, so I think there is a part of that where that church, the church then and the church very rigid for them, uh, you know, gives them a set of rules and a set of things to really believe in. You know, I think it's the most charitable explanation. Um, and, you know, you know, because I'll mock it like crazy. Uh, oh. You know, these guys that uh, have trouble with using pronouns. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. The pronouns trigger the hell out of them. Well, like it. They'll, they'll just write pronouns in, in, in profile. I dismiss, you know, like immediately. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I compare it very much to the, the, the happy holidays thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I remember I, I was, you know, an evangelical youth group kid working at Target. And I remember they said, say happy holidays. I'd say Merry Christmas. And I remember an, a customer once kind of called me out on it. And um, a manager took me aside to talk to me about it. And I said, well, you know, I'm a Christian and I believe this is Christmas. Mm-hmm. And manager said, well, that's well and good. Uh, but we not all our customers are Christian. And we are a business and we exist to make money. And so, you know, we want to say the thing under the largest umbrella. So we have the largest customer base and make the most money. And I was 19 years old. And I'm like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and that to me ended any more thought I put into this silly argument. And it amazed me to see, like, it come, you know, I mean, it kind of became a joke, right? It was at that time of year again. It comes around like once a oh, year. Oh, every year. We hear about Starbucks cups. We have to hear about, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a script. And it starts to run, you know. And it's so clear what what's happening there. It's it's businesses that are um, trying to expand their customer base, or you know, trying to exactly. hold the biggest customer base possible, which they should be doing. Um, you know, if if we're good capitalists, it's what we want. I look at it similar with the pronouns. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, I, you know, I, I'm obviously male. I present male. Um, so, you know, I, I use pronouns, you know, in my professional emails and all that. And it's not because I'm worried about people being confused, but I'm trying to normalize it right. for people where it is, you know, something that, you know, they're presenting to the world. And, you know, to me, that explanation is perfectly clear. It's 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 perfectly logical. Like, why why would you want to make things more uncomfortable for somebody else? And I find the same kind of mindlessness in this argument that I do with the happy holidays thing. Yeah. Where it just, it's like, are we, are, like, you really, you can't see why that is. And, you know, people getting so upset over a part of speech. I mean, it, it really, it, it feels like the happy holidays thing is all over. Well, it does. And I, and I, you really kind of see that theme in almost any piece where they're culturally challenged. So, for example, uh, gay marriage. In their mind, if 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 people who are gay can marry, that's going to ruin marriage. Well, first of all, and and I'm speaking as someone that's been divorced more than once. First of all, straight people have done enough to ruin marriage by the, by ourselves. So it's you know, and, and and when I hear you know this idea that if other people are allowed the same thing that I am, then that diminishes my marriage. Well, if your marriage is good and strong, then it shouldn't matter if if two people that love each other marry that you don't agree with them, you know, that it's just not necessary, but it's like that with everything. It's the happy holidays. It, 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 it ruins Christmas, you know, and, and gay marriage ruins marriage. And, and I think that's, it, it's just that idea that everybody has to see something through the same lens I do. And they feel very threatened in the pronouns yet. Yeah, you're right. I think that's the next evolution. Um, I like on your, your, I do have to give you a shout out. Is it adjectives or adverbs that you, uh, are now uh, uh, fighting against on your your Twitter account. Is it adverbs? I, I put in any part of speech. <laughs> Just pick one out. Yeah, prepositions. <laughs> I don't think you've gotten a prepositions yet, and I want to see that. But, prepositions. Um, but yes. <laughs> but it is, yeah, it's very strange. And, and it's even stranger when people try to have a rational conversation with them because it's it's impossible. I, I think your sarcasm and parody is almost the only response you can give because they will not engage in a fair, honest discussion. Yeah. And I, you know, so that's, I mean, another piece, I mean, you, you know, we talk about LGBT inclusion in churches and, um, 
you know, it's another one to me um, where, you know, my, my theory on it is, is that it, they, you know, conservatives are looking for a wedge. You mm-hmm. know, they were looking for some way to differentiate, um, you know, conservative Christians from liberal Christians. And I think you had, you know, in these mainline groups, you had pastors that were trying to be empathetic, educated. I think a lot of them, you know, I've read about this. They started having their kids come home from college and that and, you know, come out of the closet to them. And so they were trying to say, okay, how do I use the Bible to reconcile this in an intelligent, thoughtful, compassionate way? And so they started asking these questions. And then you had the conservative ends of evangelicalism that said, we're not going to use any compassion, any critical thought, any empathy. And we're just going to say this is wrong every time. And it's just, you know, to me, I mean, the way it's created wedges, you know, in my former denomination and, you know, oh yeah, talk about the Episcopal Church. I mean, the Episcopal Church kind of had this battle 20 years ago, so they're kind of done with it. You know, I think now if, if you're an Episcopalian and you still have a problem with it, you know, you're part of one of the Anglican communions or however that works. Right. Um, you know, the Methodists right now are, are splitting in half over it, yeah. which that's going to be really interesting to observe. Uh, Presbyterians have gone through it. The um, who's the other big one that went? Uh, Lutherans. Lutherans, yeah, my goodness. The, yeah. the the ELCA went through it and had all these little splinter groups. I mean, like, um, so you know, these denominations are are fighting over it. It just it feels to me like, you know, just the the, the craziest argument to have. Well, you and know? you you used a word that I think is critical, and that is empathy. I mean, there just seems to be such a lack of empathy when people want to impose their own God, religion, spirituality, or whatever on other people. It it really, you know, it's, and they justify, I know because I grew up in this, there's this justification, uh, you know, that I remember the old argument, if the house is on fire and it's burning, are you going to stand there and tell the person nice things? Or are you going to tell them, you know, and it, that, that of course was always along the line of if they're going to go burn in hell for all eternity, then I, I need to basically be mean to get their attention. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's mean. And, and, and empathy is seen as weakness. It's seen as accepting of their lifestyle or whatever. And it really is sad because Jesus probably, you know, if, if I do believe Jesus, Jesus existed, I, I, I do believe that. I don't think he was, born of a virgin and, and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But, but Jesus as described uh, was probably the most empathetic person. One of the most empathetic people that ever existed. If, if you believe that Um, and there's just no empathy, you know, there's a shut up. It's my way. I'm speaking for God kind of thing. Well, I mean, that's again, where it's just, you know, I don't want to get too heady here, but I mean, like, you know, you talk about what Paul has to say against it. It's, I, I don't think Paul for a second could have conceived of this idea that some people were born different. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. He didn't know. know. Yeah. And in the Roman world, you know, when you had examples of those things happening, there was some real exploitation. It was like yeah. grown men taking child boy prostitutes. Yeah. Uh, stuff that we would agree is very wrong. Um, and but people are using those verses to, you know, apply it to the couple on modern family yeah right um and it's like the you know this is not the same thing this is not what you know and you know whatever we think about paul i mean you know i I tend to think he was a fairly intelligent guy i think if you would have given him you know the lay of the land and say hey like this is what's actually happening i think he would have seen it differently and i even think you look at like romans where they said you know going against nature yeah well 
But if this is someone's nature, right, something I say often, you know, when I was 12 years old watching Baywatch, no one asked me, well, who do you find attractive, Pamela Anderson or David right. Hasselhoff? One just happened. Yep. Um, you know, and I look at it the same way with, uh, you know, people who question their gender identity. No, you know, I've never questioned it. It's never been a problem for me. But for some people, it's it's a deep, you know, area of questioning. And mm-hmm. so it's like, you know, for me, it breaks down to people are having different experiences. So how are we interacting with those experiences? And we can't just keep saying, well, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, because, you know, that doesn't add up, right? You, you studied psychology. I mean, you know, yeah. those used to be things in the DSM and they've exactly. been removed from the DSM or, or altered because, you know, you look at the DSM, the DSM is about what's prohibiting functioning, mm-hmm. right? Like, and, you know, you're not crazy if you have a different sexuality or it's not prohibiting your functioning. You know, you can be a successful adult, you know, hold a job, everything else. So that's not the issue. The issue is, you know, even look at like where it is with trans right now, the issue is how society treats you. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I, you know, and I don't know. And, and, and so some of it, you know, so these shifts happen and I think you have to think about a lot of things. And yeah, I think there's a group of guys that just refuse to. Well, and I fear what they don't understand, you know, and I mean, that's whether it was left-handedness at some point in history or whatever, there's always this fear of what we don't understand or what's different. And, but it's, when you don't have empathy, you don't stop and think about the fact that everybody's just trying to kind of get through life. You know, we're all trying to figure things out, how we can live as happy and, and fulfilled as possible and get, get somewhere and hopefully help others and, and leave the world better than when you came in. You know, every, I think everybody basically wants to do that. It's just when you start seeing this, this uh, militant, uh, 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 you know, fundamentalism, uh, they, and, and, and I'll admit, I, you know, I have trouble having empathy for them because, you know, when I see their behavior and how it hurts others, I want to fight and I want to take them on. And, and I used to be one of them. So I should at least be able to say, okay, wait a minute. They haven't evolved as far as I have, or they haven't, you know, taken the time. I don't know if evolved is the best term at a time. I was saying that would be the word that they would hate the most. Oh yeah. They'd hate that. Uh, absolutely. (laughs) Um, but you know, it's, it's, it, I don't know. It's, it's, it's it, to, to take people, the thought that someone chooses to um, have a, as they call it, lifestyle that will subject them to constant ridicule and pain and depression. The, the fact they think somebody chooses that because they're um, because they choose a sinful life is, is insane. I mean, yeah, that's and that's where I got on it is I thought this is just yeah. it's not there's, yeah, got, no, there's, there's something deeper here. And so how do we absolutely how do we help I, people live that out? And, and yeah, the, yeah, I don't yeah. Did you ever see Six Feet Under? Did you watch that series? Mm-hmm. Oh, OK. Well, put that on your list of things to watch. The there's to watch. Six Feet Under. It's, I think HBO, I think, is who ran it. One of the best written series I've ever seen. Hmm. Uh, the, the main character is um, gay and trying not to be early on fighting it and there's this scene where he's praying and just begging god to make him not gay and it's such a powerful scene because you see his sincerity and his true attempt to be what he thought would be a good christian and he's gay 
you know, and, and as things evolve, he learns to accept it and, and, and everything. But it, it's such a powerful scene because when I remember watching that thinking, you know, all these people that say, Oh, they're gay because they choose, you know, to have, to be whatever, to be terrible people. They want to be sinful. They want to be whatever. And I'm thought, you know, and especially I'm, I'm in my late fifties, um, you know, if you're growing up in the seventies, the eighties, the sixties, you know, uh, you would never choose that because it's, it's, a everybody, you know, you get picked on, you're told you're horrible, you're whatever. And I see that now with people that are transgender. I'm like, nobody's going to say, Oh, I, I just want to start living as a woman because, uh, because I want everybody to make fun of me and ostracize me my whole life. You know, that's not a choice. And, uh, and it's not because they want to go be bathroom peepers, you know, it's, these are people that are having this inner experience that we are, need to understand. And so what are some them. of these guys doing in bathrooms? Like you read the way that they interpret people going to the bathroom and it's like, what are the, I don't I know. It's, it is that? weird. It's, yeah. I, 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 that's what I find very strange. It's like, I feel like they're telling them themselves. Well, I actually, that's a good point. And, and there's been more than one. Well, projection is very yeah. common, very common. We see it um, constantly. And yeah, anytime they come up with some weird little, you know, right now their words groomer, every, everybody's a groomer or whatever. Right. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, you're grooming kids, you know, it may not be sexually, but when you're telling a four-year-old they're going to burn in hell forever, if they don't do something, you're grooming them. I mean, you're, so you're projecting the way that you treat others. Oh yeah. I mean, know. well, and you know, look at it with like the athletes thing. I mean, if, 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 if I am an elite athlete, I'm not going to go through hormones and oh yeah you know all these things to change my gender just to have a, a slight advantage competing against people of the opposite gender right that's no just, that's not how athletes work no um, so it's a little bit like i feel like they're telling on themselves a little bit like maybe how they they think i don't know because you know I, I mean i was never an elite athlete but i mean i certainly you know played some sports in high school and that and i i don't know anyone who was an elite athlete that would operate that way it's just you know no it's they, not in their not in their mindset and no 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 and and you know i i have felt terrible the way that you know they get demonized there and i thought even i forget his name but like the governor of utah i thought put out a very empathetic response i said you know this is like a couple of kids in the whole state and they're just looking yeah. for friends looking for companionship and why are we stopping that but you know there even again you know his his veto was overridden i mean yeah. so yeah, I just, I can't, I, yeah. And so, yeah, you talk about empathy for the Theo bros. I mean, it's, uh, tough one. it's you know, because that, that was ultimately another breaking point for me with religion is, you know, religion provides this moral framework that I think can be very valuable, but then it, it gives you an off ramp if God tells you to do differently. Right. Right. So, yeah. you know, I mean, and that starts from like, you know, the story where, um, you know, Abraham is, is, you know, told by God to kill his son. And yeah. it's like, why, why would you kill your own son this way? Why would you sacrifice your own son this way? And it's like the story of obedience, but it's like, he's being asked by God to do this it, very, you know, immoral, crazy thing, you know? <laughs> and why would you want to worship a God that would ask you to do that? You know, And then to I mean, come that's... at the end and be like, psych, never mind. It's like, yeah, it's a <laughs> bizarre story. But, it is, it is. Uh, but you see that all throughout where it's like, well, you know, don't kill people. And then God says, well, if you want to have the Holy Land, you can kill the people who live in, in right. Canaan. Yeah. And it's like, and you look at that throughout history where, 
you know, with the Crusades or with conquistadors or manifest destiny. It's like, well, we can turn our morality off because God told us to. Yeah. And that to me is, is the incredibly dangerous thing about religion. And part of why, like, I've stepped out of it because it, it gives you this weird off ramp. Mm-hmm. Where you can just be like, ah, no, well, God told me differently, so I guess I can do yeah, this. Which... I'm just, I'm just obeying God, you know. Yeah, and don't, and don't, don't blame me, blame the boss, you know. And, and that's, you know, going back to Star Trek, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. know, Star Trek Five, right? Which is not anyone's favorite Star Trek movie, but I do think <laughs> there's that compelling line at the end where you know God is asking Kirk for the Enterprise, and Kirk says, "What would God need with a starship?" Right? <laughs> and you know, it doesn't make sense. It's like if you're God, why would you need a, a spaceship? Yeah. And, you know, it's the same thing to me with this stuff. It's like, well, you know, why does God need conquistadors? Why does God need crusaders? Right. Why does God need manifest destiny? Why does God need a President Trump? Like what, you know, if God is all powerful, you know, why do you need these things? But mm-hmm. and, th- and that's, well, like, and that's to me, that's where it breaks down. Yeah, absolutely. And I one of my pet peeves is um, it, it's really what drove me far away from seeing God as this being in the sky that's overwatching, you know, overseeing us is in the Theobros, there's a lot of Calvinists in there. So they kind of fit this bill too. And that is what kind of, what kind of asshole would like let a a three-year-old girl be molested and, you know, for three years, uh, you know, by her stepfather and then killed and he could do something about it, but he's just kind of letting it happen. You know, I mean, beyond letting it happen, like, preordained it to happen. oh yeah pre yeah if you go the calvinist route not only is he allowing it but he's yes it is preordained that's just sick you know and and i remember struggling a lot with that even when i was deep into to being a conservative christian and i would try to find my own little explanations for for example this you know this mythical tribe in the middle of nowhere that never heard jesus's name and you know surely they got to heaven somehow and and but there there's just this idea of course the calvinists have the easy thing well they just weren't chosen uh but it's like what kind of asshole creates people just to kill them and, and torture them for all of eternity you know for nothing for his own the calvinist pleasure. conception of god is the most like unstable you know, yeah i call it the monster god it's 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 a monster and and of course i've never met a, a calvinist that wasn't one of the chosen and uh I've, you know, obviously and i've tried to ask them i asked one one time i said how how many people would you say if you had to estimate we actually got into a pretty lengthy discussion on twitter um how many people would you say what percentage are chosen you know and i i, I said would you say it's 10 percent of the world 20 percent, whatever and i don't remember what percentage you used but it was a, it was small maybe 15 which one out of six people still for a Calvinist is pretty high percentage. And I said, okay, so this many people have probably lived throughout history. You really think God created, you know, this many billions of people just to, you know, why, why didn't, you know, and, and and then I asked him, I said, I don't want to get too personal, but how many kids do you have? And he said he had four. And I said, I wouldn't have kids if I knew three out of four of them are going to burn forever. Like, how do you, and and it just so happens all his kids are saved. And I'm like, so God just happened to choose all your kids, but you know, he randomly, it's so there's not a lot of logic to it because the choices are always the ones they would have made. God chose me. God chose my family, you know? And that to me, um, you know, if you go to seminary, they call it, I I don't know if they still do. I hope they've got beyond this contextual theology. Right. So it's this idea of theology that comes to exist in Latin America or Asia 
or um, Africa, right? Other parts of the world where they're saying, well, this theology is clearly defined by the context, mm-hmm. you know? So it's a lot of like liberation theology and, and yeah. things like that. And, you know, it hits, it hits you pretty early on as a seminary student. You're like, well, wait a minute. Like, isn't European theology also then contextual theology? And, you know, I'm guessing now most people would say yes. I mean, I think the cat's out of the bag with that. But I mean, like, and that to me is Calvinist theology is clearly like what was happening at that time. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and, you know, enlightenment's happening. And, um, you know, so I think people are trying to like draw some strange conclusions or trying to get like the answer. Right. right. So Calvinism is very much, I mean, you, know, you talk about like having to have a system. I mean, their whole Oh, system, it's a tight logical box. Yes. Yeah. Everything. It's like, and yeah, you pull one piece of it away and it falls apart pretty quick. It does. And the other... so, you know, that was for me in seminary, like realizing that, you know, original sin was just nonsense. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. It's not in the Bible. It, no one really says anything about it until Augustine. And even his idea of it isn't quite the same. And it's like something that kind of develops later. Um, in Christian thought, even go to like, you talk to someone from an Eastern Orthodox church and they don't Mm -hmm. really, they don't believe it. So it's like something that only exists in Western Christianity, right? Which is why it exists in Protestantism because they're coming out of Western Christianity. But, you know, I mean, to me, this idea that you're like, again, you're telling little kids that you're sinful and you're born sinful. And, you know, it's like things like, well, you know, because my kid, you know, throws a temper tantrum at the grocery store. And it's like, that, that's not that's not evidence that your kid is sinful. That's evidence yeah. that your kid has emotions that they don't know They're how to normal. communicate yet. Exactly, exactly. Oh yeah, and, I, re- I remember I used to try to think of sins to pray for forgiveness for because I couldn't, you know, because I, I was six, seven years old. I didn't really do a whole lot, you know, and uh, and it was just a weird, weird dynamic. And and again, attributing things to God, the the Calvinists, not only the choice thing, but the other thing that always. And actually, it was probably one of the biggest moments of Scott. You need to rethink your theology when I was growing up, or when I was a young adult. Was a tornado had come through this trailer park. I have no idea where. It was probably somewhere in the Midwest. But um, they were interviewing people in the aftermath, and I mean, they're showing this devastation. But this one trailer didn't get hit, and they're talking to the lady, and she said, "We were all in the bathtub, you know, with the mattress overs, and we just prayed, and God saved us." And I thought, so what God think about everybody else in the trailer park? Was it like, fuck the rest of you? You know, it's just, it's, it, but, and I thought, what a horrible thing. I mean, I understand from her perspective and, and coming through this traumatic event, I don't want to dismiss her feeling that God protected her, but he killed all of her neighbors. <laughs> and it's like, so do you think they weren't praying? I mean, it, it would, it, and so it's, it's always weird to me. God's real fickle. If there's, if, if, if the God of these people is real. It's pretty fickle with who he answers and who he doesn't. And it's, it's. Yeah. And that's, um, uh, I don't know if I'm going to recall his name off the top of my head. Um, he's on Twitter and he's big on TikTok. Um, oh, why can't I think of his name right now? Um, he, he's an atheist guy who attended an assembly of God school up in, um, up in Pennsylvania. And um, he, though, um, he had that he had an experience like that and i hate to speak for him without naming him but um where he prayed for his kid to be his kid was really sick or his kid was at risk of dying and he prayed and even to the point where it's like you know i'll come back to being a christian if you save my kid and the kid did end up surviving but then it allowed him to sit down and start thinking wait why did god save my kid but then you know Mm -hmm. in the hospital here there are a bunch of kids not being saved yeah you know and that was one of the um you know, 
things for him to um, uh, Dadpool. Sorry, I was looking up his name. Okay. Dadpool is his name, but he, you know, he talks about that experience of you know realizing that, um, you know, why would God pick and choose? And that, you know, that to me is the thing with with miracles, anyways. And um, you know, why why is God setting up these rules and then breaking them? You know, kind of periodically, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's. I mean, to me, that's, you know, or kind of the famous one that's in like the evangelical thing is the, the Beverly. It's this um, woman who put something up about like there was a house fire and like people died in the house fire, but like the Bible didn't burn or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. After that. It's like people died, Beverly. <laughs> but that book got saved. You know, there's not like a billion Bibles in the world, but boy, that one. Yeah. You know, and you remember that, like, even after like September 11th and granted emotions were running really high. Yeah. But the the two beams that came together yep, to create a the cross, cross. Mm-hmm. you know, and it was like, I, you know, I, I don't want to be too cynical on that because emotions are running so high at that moment. But, but I, I mean, would have like, preferred him to stop the plane from hitting the building. I mean, if, yeah. if, if God's going to do an intervention, why not do that one? You know, um, and, and, you know, I mean, and that's, you know, I don't I don't know. I mean, that's, you know, I, I mean, I think, it, you know, that's, it all starts to break down pretty quickly. There. It does. Um, but. Yeah, so that's that's the joy of it. So but. one last question uh, as we're getting ready to wrap up. So the term Christian, it's too, it's too bad that you have settled into the atheist agnostic thing because I was hoping you'd be able to answer this for me. Maybe you could help me out. So one of the things that I think I've struggled with, and I think part of it is just that fundamentalist guilt that's still buried down deep somewhere. Um, I clearly am not, a part of the Christian world anymore. But I now when I watch people like, like now what and the Theo bros do this a lot. So they're Christian. And then if you are a Christian, but you disagree with them, well, you're not a real Christian, uh, you know, or if you point out Christians that have done some heinous things in history, Oh, well, they weren't real Christians. You know, there's this, there's this idea where only the people that act the way that I want them to act are Christians. And, and I don't know if you follow Mike Harvey, Rabbi Mike, but uh, this kind of when he started getting harassed really bad, um, you know, they were like, well, those aren't real Christians. They don't represent us, you know, and, and, and so the term Christian, like I believe and Rabbi Mike actually helped me kind of get here. I think if you're going to call yourself Christian, then you need to own the bad side too. You need to own the fact that Christians have done horrible things in the name of Christianity and not say, well, they weren't real Christians. We're the real ones. Cause then what you're doing is you're just purging all the bad saying, we're just that little thread of good. That's, that's happened. Have you, I know you've seen it. What, what are your thoughts on that? You know, something, you know, and I, people on both sides of the spectrum do this, right? Like liberal Christians will say, Oh, those aren't real Christians. Yeah. They aren't really following Jesus. And so it's like both sides, you know, I don't like being a both sides person, but I mean, that is one that both sides do do. Um, I guess it's even like rhinos, Republican and Namo, you know, and all this kind of stuff. People always kind of want to argue about we're the real ones and you're not the real ones. Yeah, I mean, but, I think there, there's a desire to consolidate power and to make sure that people do agree with you. Right. So that's like the rhino thing, right? Like yeah. they want people voting yeah. and being the same. And that's, you know, in the Southern Baptists. I mean, they have purged so many people out of their groups who don't think exactly as they do. And it's, it's clearly power plays. Yeah. 
Right. And it's kind of what I was getting at earlier. They want you to be able to say that you believe the thing so they can get you to lead or get you to follow them into believing other things later. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so, and, you know, I mean, the Catholic Church is full of this throughout its history, right? I mean, you you know, that was kind of one of those other moments. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it's like, wait, is the Catholic Church killing all these people? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like it's Christians killing Christians, exactly. you know? Exactly, yeah. Um, you know, and you, you certainly look at the number of Protestants that got killed, or, you know, I, I was very into Mennonite theology once. I mean, you know, even Luther is like, drown us, drown us, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. um, and so... Yeah, I mean, so, you know, what what is a Christian? I mean, you know, I think someone that, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I don't think you can draw a big uh, circle around that. And I think you just say, well, if someone doesn't follow Christ the way I think they should, they're not a Christian. That's, you know, it's not fair um, because, you know, I mean, you even say something like maybe like, you know, taking communion or being baptized, but not every Christian necessarily believes even those things. Right. right? I mean, there are denominations that don't do communion at all. And. I don't know if there are any that don't do baptism at all, but I mean, um, so I don't, you know, I mean, to me, it just, it feels like a way of, of, yeah, avoiding accountability or having to avoid the bad part. You know, that's even the thing I look at, you know, when I was deconstructing and when I was talking to my Christian friends through this and they're like, well, you know, but like, look who Jesus was. And I think there was a part of me at one point that said, well, you know, if you really could have a group of people that really were following what Jesus would say, I think that would be something compelling for our culture. Um, and people, but, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to exist. Well, and people have tried know. to do it. I, I went through a period here in Austin where I went and visited a different church every Sunday and, and blogged about it back in the blogger days. And, and it was interesting. I enjoyed it. Like, uh, before I would go, I would kind of study their history. And, and so sometimes it was a different denomination or whatever, but then you had, this was during that period where the, uh, uh emerging church movement was kind of picking up. And so I'd find a small group of people that, you know, very sincere. Most of them were probably college age, you know, they were young. And, and so we just want to follow what Jesus said, you know, and, and all that, but it's really sad that that doesn't catch on, you know, because I, I went back years later and I, cause I just had remembered, Oh yeah. I wonder how that church is doing. They're dissolved, you know, and, and, it's it's like the the denominate the big denominations are the ones that are going to survive because they got the money they have the power they have the control, and I think that people sometimes do try to find this. I just want to be a Jesus follower. You'll see Christ follower in their in their profile or something, and and they're trying to kind of get away from that. But it's still like to me, you can't really. It's like saying I'm an American. Um, but I'm going to ignore the fact we had slavery, you know, in our country. Uh, that wasn't real Americans. That was someone else. Well, no, that was our country. You know, we did that and it was bad and I'm glad we don't do it now, but we can't just act like it didn't happen. And I think with Christianity, um, even those that I would say that's not a real Christian. Well, yeah, they're kind of part of, you know, you're kind of buying into this system in some form or fashion. And uh, that doesn't mean every single person that calls himself Christian necessarily is whatever, but I think that's where the challenge is. You can't define it because each person can kind of define it how they choose. Well, and even like, you know, you know I mean, getting a little like the word evangelical, I mean, it used to mean like pretty specific things. Like, you know, you, you believed in literalness, the scripture, you believed in like the virgin birth or mm -hmm. there was like five, I should know what they are, but I don't really know. Uh, but, you know, there's no way, you know, people are self-reporting as evangelical that, that they aren't necessarily believing those five things. Right. right. I mean, like, and so, 
I mean, it says a little problem with like self-reporting, right? Or yeah, um, you, you know, because you know, what, what being a vegetarian or a vegan, what does that mean? Well, you know, do you things with honey? Some vegans don't. Some vegans do. You know, or yeah, some vegetarians still eat eggs. Some you know, some don't. You know, so like there's like or dairy, like you know, so you know, I find it concerning when people are trying to, you know, whenever you have people trying to say who's in and who's out. Mm-hmm. But I would also argue that's like the entirety of Christian history. Yes. Right. Is, yes. Is trying to argue who's in, who's out. That's what all the creeds are about. That's what the councils are usually about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that is, I mean, to me, that is the central story of church history is a group of people trying to decide who's in, who's out. When you read church history through that lens, that narrative flows sense. on through really quickly. And so, you know, and that, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I, as far as like, I, I would be very suspicious of anyone that says that someone's not a true Christian because, you know, I don't think you can really judge that. And, yeah. you know, I think there's a lot of stuff that we see that we don't like that people do, do but, you know, and, and that, you know, I know we're trying to wrap, you know, we're wrapping up here. I mean, that to me was honestly a big part of my deconstruction was, you know, this idea of sanctification and the idea that the Holy Spirit is coming in people and making them more moral. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where is the fruit of that? Yeah, you know, we don't why see aren't it. we seeing more of this? And, you know, to me, most of the things that you see, I think could more easily be explained just through like group dynamics, right? Mm-hmm. Like, a group of people, you know, either supporting you, you know, in the most positive way, right? I mean, like if I'm trying to get my life straight and right, right, you know, then I have a group of people that are supporting me in that. But it's like, you know, I go to a gym where we have group classes and there's group support in that, and you know, people cheering each other on and high fiving right. each other, and you know, it's the same. I, to I, me, it, like it was, it reminds me a lot yeah. of what happens in churches. Yeah. You know, and so, it's a good example. Yeah. People gather around a common cause and support yeah. each other. And yeah, I think that's true. I, I agree with that. And even it's, I lost, you said something that tickled something in my brain. Now I'm looking for it. Um, uh, maybe gone. And it was probably the most profound thing I would have said today, of course. <laughs> but, um, oh, I think. You were t- oh, you were talking about the the defining who's in and who's out, and and you're right. I think that's where because it becomes a purity test, and um, but you're right, not seeing that fruit. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say. I got it. I am so much nicer as a non Christian than I was as a Christian. Like to other people, I'm kinder, I'm more empathetic, um, and I think that's because for me it became about just connecting with people and about being a decent human being. And instead of trying to sell somebody into a system that I believe that God has to make you a good person that you can't, you know, you, I mean, good deeds are under the threat of punishment versus just try to be a, you know, connect with people and be a decent human being. That, yeah, that was kind of early on a set of kind of joke tweets I did where it's like, well, if I wasn't a Christian, you don't even know the evil I would do kind of. A, <laughs> and I kind of did a bunch of those tweets about like, yeah. you know, I would do so many evil things and you're all so lucky. And it is a little bit like, well, wait, are you really a good person then? If you're just if you would do this only yeah. except, um, you know, and, and that's another question I have is like if, if your morality is only because you're trying to avoid some kind of cosmic punishment. Yeah is that true moral development? Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're, yeah. you're basically, yeah, it's 
reinforcement and punishment. You know, you, I mean, you're at the basic of Skinner's, you know, behavioral theory, basically. Yeah, exactly. And so that's a little bit, you know, something that I think, you know, we should ask ourselves with that. I mean, and again, and that was, you know, a lot of, I mean, I want to affirm one thing. I mean, a lot of people in deconstruction groups, I, I mean, I'm around even evangelical groups a lot, say the same thing you did, that they find that they became a nicer person after leaving Christianity. And to me, you know, Christianity should have some kind of answer for that. Like, why, why, why would people say that? That, that is not something. I will say this as someone that studied to be a pastor, I would have been horrified if I would have known that people who left my church found they became nice people afterwards. I know. Yeah. Um, and and I've also noticed uh, that people that have deconstructed, because there's, there's always the uh, speaking from on high, whether it's a Theobro or somebody else that finds himself to be more righteous, will say, well, you don't really, you know, you're, they talk to people as if they don't understand scripture and they don't understand Christianity or they don't understand the Bible or whatever. But I have found people that have gone through deconstruction to be some of the most well-read, thoughtful, deliberative people. Because number one, they're trying to find a way out without the guilt that has been instilled in them. And so they really have tried to, it, it's not like they one day just said, yeah, I'm going to quit going to church. You know, they really did go through a process. If I want to understand my own spirituality and what it means and how I connect with other people, what it means, do I really believe in a God or was I just told there's one? I mean, it's, these aren't people that took it lightly, you know? No. And that's, um, that's an extremely common thread among those that deconstruct. And I think it's almost a little interesting that so much, so many people out of the deconstruction world, I mean, tend to come out of those late 90s or you know 90s to early 2000 youth group world mm-hmm. where I mean I think there was something about that that you know you're telling a bunch of high school kids to really explore who Jesus is and how you can be like him and so I think there is a, a big group that kind of took that call literally they listened and and started really looking and then the more they read Jesus and what Jesus was about it's like well wait a minute this isn't what I'm seeing over here yeah um you know, and I, I would say that definitely I've talked to tons of people in the deconstruction world where like that is kind of the place where it starts falling apart for them. And, um, you know, then I think they go in different directions with that. So you do get some that will start saying, like, you know, then you know, let me find a church that allows me to live out a little bit more who I am. So maybe they do right. go, you know, to the Episcopal Church down the street. You do get others that then say, you know what, I don't know if this Christianity thing is for me. And, um, you know, they leave altogether or, you know, or, or you get some that then find a way to be more authentically themselves in evangelical settings. I've, I've kind of seen all three. But, um, you know, I think that's a little bit um, the, the monkey's paw, you know, of, uh, you know, these youth pastors and church leaders that told these youth to do this, look at who Jesus is and see how you can follow them. And then when they did it, it's like, well, wait, not like that. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Somebody did a great, somebody did a great Twitter thread. I won't be able to locate it immediately, but one day where they talked about, you taught me this, you helped me learn yeah. to leave, you know, thank you for that. And I think that's where I really get irritated when I see the judgment where people say, well, you just want to go live a sinful lifestyle or you just want to, and I'm thinking these people are taking their walk with whether it's God or, or, or man or whatever, more seriously than I've seen most Christians who just say, I'm going to drop in on church on Sunday and Wednesday, you know, get my, get my hour and get out. And that makes me a good person. These are people that have really spent time trying to understand what is really true and right and what they can do. They're not, they're not these 
bad people that, that that they left so they could go out and commit crimes. You know, they really no, aren't. And, and I say quite sarcastically, if I wanted to get away with being a sinful lifestyle, I could have easily stayed in evangelical leadership, yeah. and the church would have helped me cover it up. Yep, that's uh, true. I, I'm much more safe to be in a sinful lifestyle in evangelical leadership than anywhere. Wow. Uh, you know, so that's kind of no. I and again, because I am, you know, fundamentally morally pretty much the same. You know, like I don't my my moral views. You know, I still take my personal morality very seriously. Yes. Um, but I, I do it more because it's who I am, not because I'm afraid of some kind of cosmic punishment. So, and I don't know. I mean, you know, I think there's a little bit of that's a little bit of code for they want to be in a gay relationship. Yeah. Um, and then, um, or, you know, they want to have sex with their girlfriend. I think it's, it's what that's a little bit code for. But then, but I don't know anyone who left the church to like, you know, go start robbing gas stations. Right. Or you know what I mean? Like, or embrace any kind of immoral uh, lifestyle or, you know, go start cheating on their taxes or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like it's, exactly. It's, I've never seen that. And yeah. so, and you know, maybe someone could point out one example, but most times when I talk to evangelical people, they, not they, they are very moral yeah. in their life, you know, and yeah. they just, they kind of lead their lives in a very similar way. And like I said, that's, but that was a common thread when I, you know, I spent some time really trying to talk to evangelical people and hear their story. Um, you know, the three common threads for what I saw really started breaking people out was the treatment of women, treatment of the LGBT community or the Trump support. Like those were things where yeah. people where that was like, wait, what is going on here? Um, and then, but when I asked people like how they feel that they are different after leaving the most common thread was I find myself being nicer. I, I, yeah. I never talked to anyone that said, well, now, you know, I'm I'm free to yeah, know, now I could just do a Rob Seven Eleven or now exactly. I'm free to to go um, you know beat my kids or yeah know. kick a puppy right exactly. like they never say anything like that it's it, they, they they talk about becoming a kinder person and and uh, yeah I, I mean to it's me it's amazing I, mean, I, I you know and part of me would you know I, I think if the evangelical church or the Christian church were reflective on that that should freak them out. Yeah, instead of um, dismissing people that are no longer in the in-group, listen yeah. to them. It probably would, if they truly listened, I think it would possibly result in some improvements, you know, at least to looking at things differently. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to come to terms with some of this stuff. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, at some point, I think they're going to look in the mirror and say, how did we ever? How did we get here? How do we yeah. get here? I mean, you know, and it's the same way. I mean, you know, that's the thing, though. The religious right started off trying to keep Bob Jones and Liberty segregated, mm-hmm. right? And that was like the original thing that they were organizing around is that they wanted to maintain segregation. You know, they don't like it when you bring up that part of the history. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, but it's really well documented. That's where they originally started connecting. And then they saw that that battle, you know, wasn't winnable and that they had a bunch of evangelicals that weren't on the same side as them. And then they, you know, they switched to abortion. I mean, you know, they just, they saw yep. that as a potential wedge issue because even like, you know, in the sixties or the early seventies, the Southern Baptists put out a statement saying, you know, we don't like abortion, but right. um, we do think that, you know, sometimes it's necessary and that this should be left up to the rights of the, to the woman. Like, you know, like they were a pro-choice denomination, you know, yep. and, and now my goodness, you oh, know, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you, you know, I mean, that's a whole different discussion, but I mean, um, and so I think there's a little bit, you know, 
it, you know, in there you go back to it. I mean, evangelicals probably should have explored why the not segregating our schools is a salient issue. And if they could explore that, they could start answering some questions, but they don't want to, um, you know, because I have to imagine that evangelical kids 20 years ago are going to look back and say, how did you support that Trump guy? What happened there? Yeah, I you think know? so. I think about kids now that are growing up that being gay is no big deal. This generation, you know, they don't care. It's not an issue. And they probably are going to look back and say, yeah, can you believe they used to, you know, have this debate? And I think that's, you know, I'm hoping. I mean, I, I feel like the world lurching forward slowly regresses, you know, three steps forward, two steps back kind of thing. But and I, right now I feel like we're two steps back. But I think eventually we're going to see each generation take us a little bit further. I mean, that's what history has shown us. And like, we look back and say, how in the hell could anyone have ever owned slaves? You know, that's just not even conceivable to me. And I'm hoping that we're raising children now that will look back and say, how could we have treated people that uh, by race or by gender or by, you know, uh, uh, whether they're gay or straight or, uh, you know, whatever. I, I hope that that is our future. So we'll see. I do too. I hope so too. I, I, you know, and I'd like to think that we are. And I mean, uh, I think kids are, you know, you, you talk to Gen Z, I think they are moving forward with all this. I mean, I yeah. think, you know, to them. Yeah. I think there's a lot of hope there, I but think so. uh, I think we can, I, I think that's a good spot as any to perfect positive note to Thank end on. Thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. And, I enjoyed uh, this and I appreciate you, uh, and uh, everything you're doing and, uh, keep, uh, keep Theo bro extraordinaire going. It's a great, we'll do. Okay, we'll see you. Have a good one. Well, that's another episode of Observations from Life. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out my website at www.obsfromlife.com. You can find information on past episodes, people who have appeared on the podcast, as well as a merch store. Until next time, this is Scott. Thank you so much for listening.